0: Imagine being taught from a young age to question everything, to challenge institutions and authority. But when you challenge the very authority, the very person who taught you these things, you're put into psychiatric care. This is the astonishing private life of B. Miles, one of Australia's most iconic eccentrics, known certainly in the 50s and 60s for her Shakespeare recitals, her dangerous obsession with jumping onto moving trams and trains and vehicles, a firebrand, even. As she declined towards the end,
1: I have no friends for three reasons. One, I'm a truth thinker and a truth speaker, and I prefer and have to fly alone. Then, because I cannot stand the priggery, cantery, snobbery, smuggery, hypocrisy, lies, flattery, conventional speech and behaviour upon which society hires those base, then, because I've been in
0: jail so many times, I can't count. Rose Ellis has written a new book on B. Miles. It's called B. Miles, Australia's Most Famous Bohemian Rebel and the Untold Story Behind the Legend. Hello, Rose.
2: Thank you, Andy. Lovely to
0: be here. B. Miles has, over the years, been labelled a Sydney identity and eccentric, and I know you have some thoughts on that. But she also attracted press attention from Melbourne and Cairns. And for those who don't know B. Miles, how would you describe a typical encounter with her?
2: Well, a typical encounter with her would depend where you were at the time. If you were on a tram and you were seated in her favourite seat, you'd be in a lot of trouble (laughs) because she would demand you to get up and vacate your seat and I have to say people normally did. Um, if you were a few rows away from her and you are watching her, you would be fascinated. People used to time her doing the Herald crossword and then it would appear in the papers the next day. Uh, she would challenge people about their knowledge of Shakespeare. If she jumped into a car that you were driving, you'd be probably fairly startled. Unless if, of course, you were a sheriff with a warrant for her arrest, then you'd be very happy. <laughs> so... Uh, you kind you never forgot your encounter with B.
0: And tell me about this idea, this epithet, this descriptor of eccentric. I noticed in your book you didn't really use that term. Why not?
2: Because I felt that that was narrowing her into a category, and she was so much more than that. I mean, I I had known about her. It's hard growing up in Sydney not knowing about her, but my. Knowledge was fairly superficial and I probably thought of her as an eccentric. And then I read a series of manuscripts that she left in the Mitchell Library and I was immediately struck by this voice that kind of leapt off the page at me, this erudite, fresh, funny, clever voice that described this set of experiences from the 20s to the 50s in a way that was so vivid and captivating and I was immediately riveted and that allowed me to push past that idea of her as an eccentric and look at her, start to consider her as a public intellectual and a social critic. And in fact, she had always had aspirations to be a music or a drama critic. Um, And I came to realise from reading the manuscripts that this was a woman who had borne the brunt of policing and judicial processes in the previous century that were often incredibly gendered and biased and a mental health system that was both primitive and brutal. And she had survived them and was not diminished by them. And I think that I found that really fascinating.
0: You're right. There is the stories, contemporaneous stories, like in the paper uh, at the time, the day that the Sydney Harbour Bridge opened and she famously wrote on the bonnet of a truck across the bridge. But there is this whole underbelly of her story that would never have been covered in the popular press of the day. B. Miles was from an affluent family. What was her early life like?
2: I oh, had a very comfortable life. Uh, her father and her grandfather were very prominent accountants and they were major shareholders in Peeps & Co, which was an exclusive menswear store in Sydney next to Wynyard Station. The building's still there. Uh, And she lived in a series of very grand homes. Uh, Yeah, it was a a very comfortable and cultured life.
0: But they were the sort of chattering classes as well, weren't they? They they sort of were were capitalists but also moved in these sort of radical circles. How how would you describe her, her father's politics?
2: Uh, Father is a really complicated figure. Yes. So he he was, conventionally speaking, you know, a member of the Chamber of Commerce and prosperous businessman, but he was also a radical nationalist. He was uh, a rationalist. So he raised his children to be atheists. They were not allowed to attend religious services or Sunday school. And he was absolutely committed to Australians not fighting overseas.
0: His pacifism led him to speak at the Domain uh, in the Speaker's Corner quite famously.
2: Quite famously, uh, he wasn't really a pacifist. I think he, he thought that war was quite a natural thing but he really didn't want Australians going overseas to fight and he wanted Australia to be independent. So, yes, he was down at the Domain every Sunday. He was doing Europe, he was doing national speaking tours and, uh, and he pumped a lot of his own money into the campaign, into the anti-conscription campaigns.
0: What was his relationship like with B, as far as we know? Well, as at far, that time.
2: As as far as we know, till she was about 14, it was a very good relationship. Uh, you know, he was proud of her, obviously of her intellectual strengths, which became obvious even from a child. Uh, but then when she began to sort of push the envelope again against his authority, the relationship turned and she said, he loved me till I was 14 and then he hated me. And it just escalated as she, you know, grew older.
0: Was there any evidence in your research about uh, physical and sexual abuse?
2: Oh, well, there are claims around the sexual abuse, but that's very hard to prove. But he was certainly violent and he was seen to be violent uh, to her. Absolutely.
0: During the 20th century, women were more likely than men to be admitted into psychiatric care. This is often instigated by either a spouse or a family member, a father. What happened to be?
2: So what happened to B was that, you know, things in the family home had gone from bad to worse. Um, She had contracted uh, a virus when she was sitting her university exams called Encephalitis Lethargica, which was... uh, uh, a pandemic during from about 1917 to 1924. And those who survived it uh, underwent quite radical personality behavioural changes. And B was certainly one of them. And the family home became a battleground. And it became more and more violent, more and more tumultuous. And one night it reached a crescendo and he had beaten her so badly, so she claimed that her mother threatened to call the police and instead he took her to the lunatic reception house at Darlinghurst.
0: When you look back at history and certainly the history of psychiatric care, there's one account that's really missing from those history pages. It's the account of the patient and she was a prolific writer and really provided some invaluable insights about these institutions from the patient side, didn't she?
2: Yes. The the diaries that she kept, uh, which she later sort of produced as a manuscript manuscript and tried to get published unsuccessfully, are incredible. Um, These vivid scenes as she was rotated from asylum to asylum, um, the behaviour of the patients, which she describes in a mixture of sort of she, as, almost as a dispassionate observer, but she also feels great sympathy for these women. Um, and the sort of sometimes the, the real cruelty of some of the staff and some of the treatments which were just, you know, people were strapped two seats and left in these inert positions for weeks and weeks at a time, you know, it was, uh, or else they were punished and put into solitary confinement, which she was frequently.
0: B. Miles knew how to attract press attention and uh, there was a a feature in a newspaper article that really contributed to her freedom or at least a short-lived freedom. What was the, the title of that article?
2: Ah, Madhouse Mystery of Beautiful Sydney Girl, yes. That was Smith's Weekly, (laughs) And
0: how did that contribute to her uh, gaining her freedom?
2: Well, so she had tried to escape several times and uh, she was in... ..she'd got to Melbourne and she was arrested and she was in the docks and it caught the attention of Smith's Weekly. And then they decided to do this expose about her and then she colluded with them in a final escape and... Because it was the story was out, her father, even though he sued Smiths Weekly and won, uh, decided that he wouldn't put her away again. I think the public embarrassment was too much and instead gave her a, an allowance, uh, which she um, was around about, about three pounds a week.
0: If you just join me on RN Drive, Rose Ellis is the author of a newly released fascinating book, B. Miles, Australia's Most Famous Bohemian Rebel and the Unsold, Untold Story Behind the Legend. This isn't the first time you've written about B. Miles. You also did a thesis, I think, about 20 years ago. I did. I did. So why did you feel the need to return to B. Miles? What does her story tell us about ourselves, who we were, who we became, that sort of thing?
2: Well, that's a great question, Andy. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> I think it's more that I, she just kept hanging around. You know?
0: <laughs> she had a way of attracting <laughs> she, attention. <laughs> she
2: really did, and, and 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 the story is fascinating. The PhD really sort of focused on the, the sort of swirl of ideas and the history around her, and what were the forces that enabled for someone like her to be put away constantly and constantly arrested and jailed and all that sort of thing. But the the story itself, I still felt needed to be told.
0: Yeah. By her admission, she had numerous sexual encounters, but it doesn't seem like she sought long-term relationships in her life. Do you, why do you think that was the case? What was she perhaps rejecting?
2: Uh, I think she never wanted to be married. Uh, she didn't really believe in marriage. She thought it was a false institution. And I also think, given her personality and the prolonged side effects of EL, I think it was probably very difficult for her to maintain a long-term relationship.
0: Reading your book, I feel like it's a bit of a tribute to Sydney as well. By writing about B. Miles, you've sort of painted a picture of Sydney that's not really recognisable anymore. And we were talking as you came in about what society would do with someone like B. Miles today. What do you think about that?
2: Well, I think we are more aware of people's conditions that we might consider different and I think that awareness is a great thing. I just don't know that we're that more, much more tolerant. I don't know that, for example, I don't know that policing practice is more tolerant or a, can accommodate someone like Bea.
0: Hmm. I just want to play, before we wrap up, this is a bit of B talking about how she made a living while sleeping
1: rough. Take a listen. For 20 years I scrounged very hard for a living. I used to carry a placard on which was written Shakespeare, poetry and prose recited, rational talks on many subjects. And I used to make money that way.
0: They really don't make them like they used to, do they?
2: No, that cadence is fantastic,
0: yeah. Mm, B, B. Miles there. Rose Ellis is the author of the newly released B. Miles, Australia's famous bohemian rebel and the untold story behind the legend Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Andy. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.